Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. Today I've got a really interesting show for you. I've got Dr. Vicar Santiago Panita, and he is a visionary that helps ensure AI and other technologies can add meaningful change for the disabled. He is a globally recognized human rights expert and a two-time presidential appointee. Dr. Panita is a serial social impact entrepreneur who is the founder of the Panita Foundation, World Enabled. He's a leading scholar on inclusive and accessible smart cities and other points of public and workplace infrastructure. He's carrying out research, strategy, communications, leadership, and capacity building initiatives in partnerships with governments, private corporations, community-based organizations, and networks of persons with disabilities. Dr. Panita, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much, Lee. It's great to join you and your community on this conversation. Well, I'm so excited because we, you know, AI is the buzz, and and we hear about the negative associated with AI, and we hear about how we should be threatened by AI. And I'm excited to talk about a way that AI can really be utilized and in a very positive way. So we're just delighted to have you with us today. I think the most important question is, what are the values that underline our use of technology? I, I stopped walking at the age of five. And by the time I was in high school, I needed a machine to help me breathe. And I think, you know, if I value independence, autonomy, if I value being able to make choices and to be able to act upon those choices, then artificial intelligence can definitely extend human agency. But it's not it's not clear cut. We're still an emerging technology and we have to know you know how to use this technology well and i think you know you make a really good point that it isn't clear cut there's there's still so much to learn what would you for you if what do you see as the biggest priority in being able to really understand what can be used and how to use it Sure. Well, I think there's three fundamental, uh, three fundamental sort of concepts. First is uh, AI's extension of our own, um, you know, these language models and these predictive tools. They're an extension of, of inputs and data that we've already fed it. So, you know, I was saying earlier when we spoke that for persons with disabilities, you know, AI is enhancing communication and accessibility like never before. Voice recognition, natural language processing, empowering individuals with speech and communication impairments to express themselves more, more fluidly. AI-driven captioning and translation tools, 
not breaking down language barriers, making content more accessible to people with hearing or language difficulties. This podcast, for example, if it only had an audio component, would be completely inaccessible to people with hearing impairments. But if you turn on uh, a captioning feature or if you get a transcript, then this content is available for people that that uh, have hearing impairments and can access this information visually by reading it. I think there's a lot of ways that AI is revolutionizing mobility and navigation. Smart devices and apps powered by AI can give you real-time information on the world around you. And that makes a lot of sense if you have, you know, um, allergic to pollen, or if you are allergic to uh, pollution, you can get instant feedback into sort of the areas where you're at. I think there's just a lot of new capabilities that are giving us personalized experiences and insights into how we want to engage with the world around us. Well, I think, you know, just having the opportunity to be able to more engage with the world around us is opens up a a tremendous amount of opportunity for folks, don't you? Definitely. Definitely. Let me give you an example. So, you know, I was born in Venezuela, and because of my physical disability, I was denied a chance for an education. And I came to the U.S. when I was seven years old, and I had a whole new realm of possibilities of learning. Now, most of my challenges in learning, you know, weren't so much in the way that I processed information. Mind you, I still realized over time that I process information audibly better than than, uh, visually, right? But imagine a world where every child uh, has the tools to learn, you know, in a customized way for their brain, in a way that has customized and personalized learning experiences with patterns and preferences. Then AI can adapt educational content and methods to match the needs of each student, including students with disabilities. And I know that you and I spoke also about brain injury and brain trauma and the ability to process information on neuroplasticity, well, AI could create customized neurotherapies that allows individual skills to develop faster, right, with their own, you know, interactive um, program, whether it's, you know, kids with dyslexia or kids with ADHD, you know, a variety of different ways to develop um, scaffolding or executive function skills based on your own challenges. And at the end of the day, we're all neurodiverse. And we all have our own different ways of of learning and moving around the world. AI could potentially give us tools that allow us to extend our human agency. Well, you know, you're right, because at the end of the day, we all have 86 million neurons in our brain. So how could any two brains possibly be the same? We are neurodiverse. 
and how we how we can incorporate that neurodiversity not only in just to our daily life but how corporations can incorporate that diversity into their corporate strategies it opens up i mean I, i'm amazed working with i work with a lot of people that have neurodiverse brains and when you can figure out how to tap into those unique capabilities that that brain has amazing things happen exactly so the question becomes you know can we have a meaningful conversation around you know artificial intelligence that is about personalized um supports that is about reasonable accommodations that is about you know um our ability to be more human, not be more like a machine, but actually have almost a co-pilot that allows you to sort of navigate through barriers or challenges, you know, in the world around you. So for the disability community, you know, AI and technology in general, you know, have been a major equalizer. Um, Whereas in the past, we were seen as you know, liabilities that we were seen as, in a sense, uh, kind of a burden on society. But with the right tools, you can see people like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs who identify as neurodiverse, um, creating huge value for society. So I think AI is, again, just a tool. We have to be aware of its its upsides and its downsides. And there's a lot of downsides that we need to be aware of as well. Well, let's share some of those with our listeners. Absolutely, Leigh. Well, look, the potential of AI um, is immense, but we have to be careful in sort of how we design these tools. Obviously, one key challenge is accessibility and design bias. Are these AI systems you know, only as good as as the data they're tra- trained on, or are there data sets that are more diverse and more inclusive? If not, AI can inadvertently perpetuate bias and inequality. For instance, AI systems that are trained primarily on data that reflects able-bodied perspectives, for example, face recognition, would see somebody like me that uses uh, a small breathing mask over my nostrils and the AI system would not be able to detect my face because mm-hmm. it knows that there's something it doesn't see my nostrils or there's something impeding the AI system to sort of comprehend a face with uh, a little mask that's over my nose. So that becomes a way that I can be excluded from some services if my face isn't adequately being recognized, right? Or somebody that that might not have, you know, use of an arm, you know, or use of uh, of some some of their other functions that that might not be interpreted by these systems because it wasn't fed information about sort of this human diversity. Even with with voice recognition, if I have a heavy accent or if I have a 
speech impediment. Can I use Alexa? Can I train these voice recognition devices to understand my own particular speech pattern that might be, you know, not within the range of the data sets that it was trained on? There's also a risk of privacy and data security, right? They gather a lot of personal data on us. That could be beneficial if it's used correctly, but if it's not protected correctly, it could put some of the people that have the most to benefit also put them at that most at risk uh, of having their data sort of you know shared. And then ultimately, I think the real question is, how do we create systems that fill the digital divide, whether that's socioeconomic status, geographic location, data, and digital literacy? You know, all of these can exacerbate inequalities between who has access to these tools and then who's left further behind. So we have to keep that human touch and we have to keep that uh, awareness that, you know, we're all in this together. As the world changes, we have to ensure that um, everybody has a chance to 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 benefit. Well, and, and the haves and the have nots has been a goat. That's a problem going back to the beginning of time. And it's and I think it's getting worse because I think the divide is getting it's a greater divide. So you've done a lot of work with policy and and strategies. And are there any strategies that you feel would be appropriate to share with our listeners? Well, I think there are three important strategies. First, I think that you know the cost of technologies goes down as more people use them, right? And so the scaling of the technology is not only something that's up to the private sector, but also the public sector. You know, one of the questions that that you had asked uh, previous to this interview was respect to smart cities. You know, I think if we think about digital connectivity and digital transformation, not from an individual perspective, but from a community or social perspective, then we can ensure that cities are deploying infrastructure that everybody can use. So that's public Wi-Fi, for example, or that's um, opportunities in schools to you know become familiar with using uh, these advancing technologies like artificial intelligence in an equitable and inclusive manner, or looking at city services in a way that leverages this technology to reshape the very fabric of our communities and give people a unique opportunity to to elevate their voices and to have a, a, a meaningful participation in this in the decisions that affect them. So public policy, you know, it's it historically has been sort of used as a big sledgehammer trying to like break break down barriers or, or opening up opportunities. But I think there's an opportunity to have uh, a more nuanced surgical approach to inclusion. And I call that inclusive innovation. 
Well, let's talk okay, about how, that. Yeah, how do we leverage innovation, whether in the public sector or the private sector, with a very clear uh, goal of expanding opportunities, of expanding inclusion? So it's not just about having a fancy software for the sake of having the software, but it's about what impact it has on the communities that are oftentimes most left behind. So inclusive innovation is something that sort of opens up educational opportunities. It opens up awareness raising and it opens up um, real set of tangible tools that public sector leaders and, and community community um, leaders could uh, use to empower their communities. One example is the work we're doing in Amsterdam, where um, the mayor wanted a human-centered approach to technology. And so we're using machine vision and machine learning to audit all the city sidewalks. And instead of sending out hundreds of people with clipboards auditing the city to see if there are any access barriers, um, you can you can actually feed an AI algorithm millions of photos of the city that are geotagged and get, in a sense, a heat map of where there might be physical challenges or barriers for older people or people with disabilities to move around around their cities. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can apply innovation to advance inclusion, uh, but all of that comes ultimately from our own perspectives, our own values, and our own desire to uh, to make a difference. But I think, you know, that's a great example of just the simplest application uh, that how that can in, improve the overall cohesiveness and knowing where where you can go, where you can't go, having and and that that gives people. I love when I feel like I'm in control. I love when I feel like I know where to go or not go. When I don't, I feel very overwhelmed. I feel it puts me in a very defensive spot. And I think if we can start to give shift some of that awareness and shift some of that information to the disabled world, we can create a little bit more equity. And it's for everybody. I don't think we need to divide the world as the cable-bodied world and, you know, the world of people with disabilities. Look, if I'm on a bus and, you know, and I lose track of where I'm going, it's great that my phone, you know, is able to remind me, hey, you got three more stops before you get off. But that could help my grandma, who's also a little more forgetful. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's it's all these ways that we can sort of have support structures in place. Yeah. And I think well, that's the main sort of hope that I have for you know how we responsibly deploy these technologies to enhance our human agency. Well, we have a couple minutes left, Dr. Panita, and for our listeners that want to learn more about you or the work that you're doing, do you have a presence on social media? Sure. So you can look 
me up Victor Santiago Pineda on uh, on Twitter. X is Victor Pineda. And um, on Instagram, it's through my nonprofit world. Enabled. That's world enabled. And then obviously a lot of these initiatives are support, supported through my foundation. And that's the PinedaFoundation.org. So I encourage you to get involved, or reach out. I'm also very connected on LinkedIn as Victor Santiago Pineda. And uh, would love to share more of how our work can benefit your audience and your listeners. Well, and you make such a great point is there is no division. If we can make if we can make the world an easier place, I mean the fastest growing population we have today is the centurions, a hundred and above. So if we can make the world an easier place for all of us, we can all we can enjoy life, enjoy helping each other to our fullest. So Thank you so much. And I just want to, you know, Pineda, that is P-I-N-E-D-A, the Pineda Foundation. And for all of you that have somebody that you feel could benefit from the understanding of how AI can be utilized in their life, please, please share it. Dr. Pineda, what if you wanted one takeaway for our listeners to have, what would that one takeaway be? I think the one takeaway is that we all have an opportunity to um, live more meaningful lives and we have to be connected to each other and community and also know that we have an impact um, that can be extended if we use technology responsibly. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us. I feel that there's much to be said in every word that you said. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com.